Welcome to the WATG Podcast Show with your host, Corey Jenner-John. Hello and welcome to another Wisconsin Association for Talented and Gifted Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Jenner-John. I have the pleasure of welcoming Dr. Donna Y. Ford uh, with us today. Dr. Donna Y. Ford is a distinguished professor at Ohio State University in the College of Education and Human Ecology. Dr. Donna Y. Ford, thank you very much for joining us. And if you could also kind of give me a um, expound on your bio a little bit and tell us about who you are. Okay, thank you so much for um, allowing me this opportunity to, to speak with you and um, the listeners. So yes, I've been in the field of gifted education professionally for 30 years. And my work started off being uh, focused on gifted black students who underachieve. That's what I did my dissertation on. However, the majority of my uh, career has been devoted to desegregating and integrating gifted and talented programs. Another way to look at that is um, focusing on how do we recruit and retain more black, Hispanic, and low-income students for gifted and talented programs. So all that I do focuses on equity and anti-racism, as well as our educational professionals um, being professionally, I'm sorry, being culturally competent. That's awesome. Okay, I just I also want to say, um, everybody out there, she, Dr. Donna Y. Ford is also the author, co-author, and co-editor of 14 books, including um, my personal favorite, the Multicultural Gifted Education. Uh, so um, she's uh, she's definitely worth a listen. So, okay, so the big question is at hand. Um, obviously, the big news in gifted and talented in the gifted and talented world uh, with uh, New York City, uh, the news uh, dropping its gifted and talented program. What was your first reaction to that when you heard that news? Well, I cannot, uh, uh, um, I'm sorry, I, I'm thinking about your comp compliment about my multicultural gifted education book, but let me move beyond that and get to the bigger issue. So thank you. I was not surprised about the mayor's decision to um, end gifted education in New York. And I say that because he gave warnings, and I, that's my word, warnings, for at least two, maybe three years, indicating that this is something that he would probably do if the demographics of gifted education did not change. So um, to be more brief, not surprised at all. Having said that, I don't do not agree with the decision, but I'm not surprised. And I, in some ways, view it as an act of desperation. You know, when you've, uh, you know, given warnings after warnings, you know, you've given people opportunity and changes don't take place, then it's like, okay, this is the only thing I can do to uh, get rid of inequities in gifted education. That's interesting that you say act of desperation. Why do you think they went so far as, uh, why do you say act of desperation? What, the inequities in New York, and let me make it clear, it's not just New York. I called this, and even before COVID, I've called the, um, the, the issue about black and Hispanic students 
being underrepresented in gifted education, an educational pandemic. It is worldwide. It is nation nationwide. Almost no matter what state, Corey, that you uh, look at, what school district you look at, it's almost a guarantee that black students, first and foremost, followed by Hispanic students, will be um, underrepresented. So when, um, when and, and many times, too many times, the Office for Civil Rights, OCR, the Office for Civil Rights, or the Department of Justice has had to intervene um, to say you must recruit and retain, those are my words, more Black and Hispanic students for gifted programs. But to be more specific regarding your question, that because that was context, um, I am saying that uh, there were there have been years where New York has been um, looked at and has been found at the inequities. The underrepresentation is stark, and so you're you're, you're told you need to change these demographics. Professional development might be held. Evaluations may take place. Um, you may need to consider um, new testing procedures, policies and instruments, and so forth. But when, um, when those changes are not taken seriously, or when they're just not, um, when they're tinkered with, when they're tinkered with, then you can end up being very frustrated and I'm just talking about myself, I'm very frustrated, I'm very angry, I'm very disappointed, as well as disgusted by the demographics of New York, almost every state, almost every school district in um, the nation. So when I say act of desperation, it's, it's like frustration. What else could I do since there's no change taking place and you've had opportunities for years? That's, that's a good point. Why do you think, why do you think, uh... There are so many people that are so upset about this. Why do you think? Why do you think this this decision has been so polarizing? Well, it's been polarizing because, in my personal and professional opinion, white affluent parents are upset that they no longer have the segregated, racially and economically segregated public schools to send their children to. Some parents want to uh, have this facade that they're so supportive of public schools. And so they want their children in public schools. When in reality, they just may not want to pay for private school. But you end up, Corey, with the racial segregation the way it is, the economic segregation the way it is. You end up with these visibly white and affluent gifted programs. And... Um, and so you don't have to pay for private schools. So I have called gifted programs in public schools really gifted programs. I'm sorry, uh, gifted programs in public schools, really private schools that we have in public spaces and using public uh, dollars. So many leaders, many decision makers will not do, make the decision to end gifted programs because uh, they fear white flight, these upper income families taking their children out of um, the district, out of um, even the, the state. So instead of making changes, they acquiesce to the status quo and yeah. um, is very problematic. So it's all, so mainly 
it's all just a facade then, right? In my opinion, yes, it yeah. is mainly um, a that facade. Okay. Huh. So what do you think the what do you think the ripple effect of this is? I mean, do you think this is going to affect um, other other cities, states, school districts across the country? I, I think that there will be a ripple effect, and um, other states have and districts have um, have uh, you know warned, and I do use that word intentionally, that they may end gifted programs if they do not um, increase the representation of black and Hispanic students. Um, sometimes they'll talk about students who live in uh, poverty, which, you know, they must. So um, I think that other states and programs will look at New York and um, either go ahead and say, you know, if New York can do it, we can do it. Again, if they are feeling desperate. Um, but others, I hope, will say, no, we don't want to end uh, gifted programs. We've got to make changes almost like not just reform but revolutionize gifted and talented education rather than um rather than getting rid of gifted and talented programs wouldn't it be easier to go the other way and um just try to be more inclusive and including more minorities wouldn't that be an easier solution do you think well that's what i've been advocating along with others for for 30 years and I do mean exactly 30 years I got my PhD in 1991 so yes it would be much easier to do the right thing and that is make changes to the instruments that are being used make changes to the criteria to um, be screened and then formally identified and make changes to policies and procedures. So Corey, let me be clear. New York talked about, um, or people are, are talking about along with, you know, those in New York are talking about this bias test that students take, for example, in kindergarten. There is okay. absolutely no doubt in my mind that um, intelligence and, achieve, and certain achievement tests um, are biased biased in favor of white populations, biased in favor of those um, who are higher income, and biased in favor of those who are um, English proficient. So yes, the tests are really a problem, but what should have been noted in New York, and it is a national problem, is that the main way, Corey, that you get to take the gifted education test to be screened for gifted education is an educator has to refer you and okay. educators mm -hmm. consistently under refer black and hispanic students especially black students so you don't even get to take the, uh, uh, an opportunity to take the test but let's say you have a teacher who does refer um, say black and hispanic students then they come up against a bias uh test as well as bias policies and procedures and let me just give you an example of what i mean by bias policies and procedures we know that teachers educators under refer black students even when they have the same test score when they have the same grades when their families have the same um, income and more so when they you know are matched with white students white teachers consistently still under refer 
black students. So it is undeniable that racism is at work along with um, a classism. So a policy and procedure is you need to stop educator referrals. Uh, second is a policy and procedure is when we know that privileged parents, mostly white and affluent, um, know how to refer their children for screening, but uh, black, Hispanic, and low-income families don't know how to do that, that is inequitable. A an example of an unjust policy and procedure. And then um, I was just, you know, uh, in with this third example, but it's not um, the, the only ones. We know there's ample data that indicate that national norms, state norms, and even local norms should not be used for um, screening uh, gifted and talented students if you want more diversity. You have to use building norms, which I have been um, advocating for for years, for decades. Use building norms. So we want to know in your building which students need more challenge. All students need rigor, but which students need more challenge in your building? And that would be an equitable policy and procedure. Don, I agree a thousand percent. That is, that is, uh, that is, that is amazing. I, what, what do you think? I mean, do you think? New York City was, do, do you think they were given options rather than uh, getting rid of gift, gifted and talented? Or do you think this was pretty much the only thing that they thought of and they were like, you know what, this is the only option that we have and this is what we're going to do? No, no, no. For first, uh, like I said earlier, for um, at least two, maybe three years, there has been more of a push for um, from the mayor to be more equitable for districts. Um, and buildings to be more equitable, yet um, not much change has taken place. So this wasn't just a decision that was impulsively made by the mayor. This was one that was, you know, thought out and um, shared that might happen for uh, a couple of years. Now, again, I am not saying I agree that gifted programs should end we must stop tinkering with uh, the barriers, you know, putting a Band-Aid on these uh, gaping wounds, as the phrase, say, phrase says. We need to truly have an overhaul of gifted education that is um, anti-racist and culturally responsive. I agree. I agree 100%. Um, what, do you think, what do you think the next, Donna, what do you think the next chapter is for uh, gifted and talented and accelerated learning um, throughout this country. Like, what, what do you think the future the future looks like? Well, I hope that um, other states and districts take heed to this um, decision to end gifted programs uh, in New York. That they, you know, take it very seriously and not want to be in the position of having to make this decision. So that means do hire some consultants consultants who and evaluators who are truly anti-racist culturally responsive and equity minded to look at what 
the barriers are for recruiting and retaining underrepresented students. So look at what are all the barriers and then make recommendations. And again, school building by school building by school building, not, not just in your district. Yep, I agree. It can't, this isn't, you know, gifted and talented and accelerated learning. It can't be, it's not a one size fits all. I think that's what we're all learning, right? Well, in the field, and um, I don't know how many districts and educators, you know, truly follow this, but in the field, especially for those of us who are um, anti-racist and equity minded, we say do an assessment of your students. And I said assessment, don't just test. And I'll come back to that, but do an assessment of your students. Be comprehensive. Follow guidelines of test um, uh, policy makers. You know, like those who, uh, like the association, the American Association, I'm sorry, like the American, uh, um, the American Psychologists, along with several other organizations, they have testing principles. And if I remember correctly, they were updated within the last year. But they have pieces in there to talk about how to be culturally responsive, how to avoid test bias and test um, unfairness. So when, when um, educators are equity minded, when they really want to diversify the gifted programs, then they will seriously look at um, their, the, the test that they're using and the criteria and make sure that um, it's not one of the gatekeepers, not one of the barriers. So it is possible and it is realistic. It is doable to recruit and retain equitably more underrepresented populations so that you don't have to resort to ending gifted programs. That's really interesting. I really, I really appreciate the insight. Um, uh, and I really think that this is something that's going to be um, talked about for quite a while. Um, yes. I, I think, you know, ever since, ever since that uh, New York City decided to do this, um, it's gained national and international attention, not just because it's New York City, but because like you said, this has been something that's kind of been percolating for the last year, two, three years. And I think other districts and cities and states kind of have their eyeball on this and trying to figure out what the best solution is moving forward. And I, and I really think, like you said, I, I really think there, there, there's a lot of people that don't really know, they want, to, they want to try to do the right thing, but they really don't know what the, they really don't know what the solution is. They, they don't know how to get there. Well, let me put this in your listeners' um, ears and their minds and their hearts. When I did my dissertation, it was in East Cleveland, Ohio, and I grew up there mainly starting in um, middle school. All right. And in that district, um, the achievement test scores were um, very low, very low. So, frankly, to identify students as gifted, Sometimes I was recommending that instead of looking at students who score at say the 90th percentile or the, the 95th percentile on these achievement tests, we had to look at students who were at the 75th percentile in their district. Those were the students 
who needed more challenge than the other uh, students. I was not looking at, well, what would that look like in another district? I, we have to tailor our um, policies and procedures and instruments criteria to, yes, the district, but more importantly, to the school uh, building. So that's one example. And then the other thing I want to say is that um, when it comes to um, last resource, it's not just say the mayor saying we will end gifted programs. We've had cases with the Office for Civil Rights or the Department of Justice where you know they will you know have these hearings and I've been an expert witness and they will give the district say five years to improve the, the percentages of um, black and Hispanic students. And if they don't, then federal dollars may be taken away. And when federal dollars are taken away, it's not just that the gifted program ends, you no longer have a district. You no longer have a district. So don't just look at New York and say, oh, they've ended gifted programs. Look at these court cases that um, involved where the Office for Civil Rights or the Department of Justice had to um, be involved. Um, and I wanted to say one more thing about um, tests. Yeah, go ahead. I use this example often, and um, more recently, I use COVID as an example. My co several of my colleagues and I, we have stated without apology that it is um, educational malpractice to identify students as gifted or to reject them for gifted programs based on one test score. You, you cannot even begin to uh, characterize and understand what students' needs um, are, which goes back to your previous question, and um, I don't think I answered that clearly. We need to look at who our students are and tailor make gifted programs around them. We don't need to have these programs in place and then say, okay, let's find gifted students to fit it. You tailor your programs to who your students are. But um, going back to the testing um, example, and I hope you know this um, resonates and is clear. Again, you can is we consider it educational malpractice to use one test to say yes or no um, about whether you're gifted or not. Um, if so I just um, got my COVID booster today, thank goodness. And um, yes, uh, thank goodness. I had to run around to several stores, um, uh, pharmacies, but I got it. But anyway, let's say, um, and I remember having to do this, you, have, you need to go to a doctor's appointment or you need to go to a, a, a business. They wanted to um, take your temperature, right? And if your temperature, is uh, normal then you can get in the building if your temperature was high you could not you would be an imbecile <laughs> i mean it would be asinine for a doctor to take your temperature just one number one uh, one instrument a thermometer and say oh you have covid right <laughs> good point no that's good yep that's true i mean you would think yep. that person was you, there's a lot of things names I could use, but it would be like, where did you get your degree that you think that just because I have a temperature 
right? Just because I was coughing a little bit more, I have COVID. No, you do an assessment. You don't just look at one number or one thing. And that's what I want people to remember. It's irresponsible. It's unethical. It's unprofessional. I agree 100%. You have to look at the entire body of work. You can't just look at one small sample and uh, take that for the entire person. I, I agree 100%. Um, Dr. Donna Wyford, I thank you for your uh, your wealth of experience and knowledge in the world of multicultural education. Uh, thanks for joining me on the Waytag podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And I hope my um, time with you has been useful and helpful. Yeah, for sure. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You have been listening to the WATG podcast. As always, thank you for listening and have a good day.